the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to uh, hold off reading it, and we'll uh, go through it uh, one verse at a time as we get to it. Um, I doubt that there's anybody here that doesn't like a little attention, uh, some well-placed uh, encouragement. You know, who, who doesn't like an accolade or two? Uh, we thrive on being noticed for doing a good job. Praise can go a long way towards energizing us to remain faithful when the road ahead is long and the burden is heavy. The danger is when we stop doing right because it's right to do and we start doing right for the attention. When we start doing right for the accolades, for the encouragement, we place ourselves in a precarious situation of making ourselves really attention junkies who will only perform our good and right deeds when someone is watching that will give our our weak and our fragile egos the stroking that it needs. Our pride loves this, but our God calls it hypocrisy, sin. Jesus has done so far um, on, the, on, on the Sermon on the Mount, what he's done so far is he's turned the teaching and the practice of the religious leaders right side up. Okay, not, not upside down, but right side up, the way it should have been all along. In this passage, it is as if Jesus is saying, uh, really, to trust your ego to the hands of the Father. Matthew 5, remember, Jesus dealt with the aspects of inner righteousness, uh, what takes place in the heart. Uh, remember, righteousness requires reconciled relationships. That's what we got out of chapter 5. In Matthew 6, Jesus deals with the aspect of our outer righteousness or, or our, our practice, that righteousness requires the right worship. The first has to come before the second. As we work through chapter 6, we're going to see almsgiving, and we're going to see prayer, and we're going to see fasting. Uh, three great uh, Christian duties, or what the commentaries call these, the three foundations of the Old Testament law. See, by them, we, we do worship and service to God with our three principal interests, or three principal parts. By prayer, that's with our souls. By fasting, that takes place in the body. And then by our almsgiving, uh, that's with our possessions. So we must not only stop doing wrong, you know, stop doing evil, but we must also do good. But we have to do good well. Now to the Jew, the almsgiving and, and righteousness meant the same thing. See, almsgiving was, was the greatest thing that a Jew could do. It was the first act of their religion. It was considered to be the very embodiment of righteousness, and so much so that the two words began to be used synonymously. When they would speak of alms, they would speak of righteousness. When they would speak of righteousness, they would speak of alms. The Jews called the poor box the box of righteousness. One commentary says, It is true, our almsgiving do not earn heaven, 
but it is as true that we cannot go to heaven without them. It is pure religion. He's quoting James 1.27. And we're going to see that, that Christ here takes it for granted that his disciples were giving alms. They were involved in this. Now, now what is this? What is giving alms? Well, they are acts of righteousness, particularly giving to the poor and needy. It's the providing for others who are struggling or, or, or have nothing at all. This is done from a heart of compassion. Now, we see a biblical example of this. If you want to look in Acts chapter 3, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. We have a prime example of this in action. In Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, Peter and John are going to the temple. They, they see a beggar, crippled beggar, begging alms, and he's in a prime location. He is right outside the temple itself, uh, which, I mean, if you're going to worship God uh, and, and, and giving alms is part of your worship, I mean, he's in a prime location. That's what they say about business, right? Location, location, location. He's in a prime spot. Listen to verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Verse 3 says, Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms? And Peter, uh, fasting his, uh, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them, which would have been the custom then. But verse 6 says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, uh, but uh, such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he is there, you know, asking for alms because they had no social security system. They had no WIC program. They didn't have food stamps. If you couldn't work, you had to depend on the generosity of, 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 of others. And that is exactly what this man's doing. Only in this case, he didn't receive anything monetarily. <laughs> he received healing from Christ, okay? Uh, so he got the much better end of the deal. So let's look at verse 1 as, as we kind of have this foundation laid. We're going to see in verse 1 that we must do our alms or do our righteousness carefully. Now, if we we're going to, to title this message, we would call it Secret Service Christians. I know it's kind of a hokey title, right? Secret Service Christians. It'll make sense to you in just a little bit. And even if it is hokey, you probably won't forget the title. You'll remember the message. All right, verse 1. It says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, in this set of four verses here, uh, Christ alone says four times that we are to do alms. We are to do charitable deeds. First of all, we see from this passage that, that acts of service or good works, whether it's giving money or giving service, it's not optional. It is, it is mandatory. Jesus says it four times, do your acts of righteousness. And there's two important lessons here. It says take heed, which means you have to guard, you have to be on alert to the deception of giving and doing so people can see. See, a person's heart, Jer Jeremiah 17, 9 says, can be deceived. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It'll keep a person from receiving anything from God. 
their own heart will. The second thing is, okay, yes, we have to be careful, we have to take heed, but then we have to do our charitable deeds. A person must do these charitable deeds. They must give alms. They must do acts of righteousness. That's the duty of believers. And take heed means to pay attention. Because what is being said is important. It's important to your own well-being, especially your well-being spiritually. Our being warned to take heed means that a sin is close and we're in danger. Our heart again can be deceived. Sin creeps up on us and it is insidious and it is subtle. It'll keep us from receiving anything from God. See, Christ desires that we do these things with, uh, with the right motive, and he wants us to guard against hypocrisy, against being hypocrites when we do them. God expects us to be kind and to do good to others, to help others both through personal involvement and through generously giving and sacrificing. Jesus' warning in this passage is not about doing evil. Jesus' warning in this passage is about doing good just to impress other people. About doing good with the wrong motive. Be careful when and where I do my acts of righteousness. If I am only willing to do them when people are looking and I get noticed, then I really need to rethink why I'm doing them. You've got to be careful of your sin nature. Christ warned there uh, that there is great danger when we give, when we do our alms, when we do our acts of service. We have to guard ourselves. We have to guard and be alert to the deception of giving and doing good so that people can see what we're doing. Because, again, our pride, man, doesn't our pride love attention? Doesn't it love the spotlight? So we have to be careful of our motives. I mean, again, we have to give alms. We have to do good. We have to perform our acts of righteousness. That is obedience, and it's disobedience or sin when we don't. It is our duty, again, as believers, but do not give for the recognition by people or you lose your reward. See, the disciples later on would be tempted by... um, the power they had to perform many wonderful works, you know, the healings and the raisings from the dead. Uh, I mean, they would be tempted to perform those things so they could get the accolades from people. It is a sin that we are in danger of. Matthew Henry says this. He says, take heed of hypocrisy, for if it rain in you, it will ruin you. It is the dead fly that spoils the whole box of precious ointment. Now, now why? why? Why we do what we do seems almost important as what we do. Now, did you get that? Why we do what we do seems almost as important as what we do. I'm not sure we can separate them. I mean, right deeds the righteousness has to be done, but it has to be done with the right motive or they both become wrong. I want you to look at verse 2. Verse 1 is do your righteousness carefully. Verse 2 is doing your righteousness wrong. 
Verse 2 says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet uh, before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now this blowing the trumpet, well, the commentaries could not make up their mind what this meant. Um, some say that they would actually blow a trumpet. The rich people that wanted to give alms and get attention would go out onto their street. They would blow a trumpet to kind of summon all the folks in need so that the folks in need would know that somebody is there to, to give them something. Uh, some say it's just figurative. We don't know for sure. Uh, but what, whatever it is, whether it's literal or figurative, we know <laughs> that it is wrong. There are several motives, um, several wrong motives for giving. There are several wrong motives for doing good. We might give for attention and, and, and prestige. We might give to be praised by people in this life and then remembered by those people when we die. We might desire applause and then thanks and appreciation and honor and praise and esteem and glory. We might give for, for self-applause. Boy, I did something good. I must be all right. Self-satisfaction. We might give for self-admiration. We might uh, give to feel comfortable that we have done um, what we needed to do and see ourselves and in the best light to ease our own conscience. We might want to boost our own ego, glory in ourselves. We might give out of obligation because we feel a sense of, 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 of duty. We might give to secure recognition from God. Hey, God, look at, at, at what I did. Look at the sacrifice I made so that we can feel that God is pleased with us and he favors us because we've done all this good as if we could earn God's grace. Now remember, not doing your righteousness is wrong. Not giving alms is wrong. Not doing works of service is wrong. See, Christ seems to take it for granted, again, that his people give and they do good. He presupposes that this is already happening. In 1 John 3, 17 and 18, it says, Whosoever has this world's goods and see his brother in need and shut up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If we're not giving and meeting the needs of the poor, how can we say we love God, it says. But then he goes on, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Why? Because talk is cheap. But in deed, what you do, and in truth. And we've already established that it would be sin not to give your alms. It'd be sin not to do the acts of righteousness to do your righteousness. And yet we're cautioned against sinning while appearing, <laughs> while appearing to do good. See, doing your righteousness for the praise of men is wrong. What Christ strikes at is the motive of our heart for the giving and the doing good. Righteous hypocrites put thought into what gives them the most exposure, and the most praise. Giving for recognition is the wrong motive for giving. Should you be giving? Yes, 
Absolutely. But giving for recognition is characteristic of the hypocrites. Giving out of the wrong motive is hypocritical. Proverbs 27, verse 2 says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. You remember that the word hypocrite means, uh, means two-faced, means actor. They would put on a show, and actors, you know, play actors, they had plays back then. They were not looked at in real high esteem in, in, in the culture, so they could never have enough actors. So the actors had to play multiple parts. They had, had little masks they would hold up for each character that they were playing, so they would play multiple characters. That's where the word hypocrite comes from, more than one face. It's a mask, a fake picture, appearing to be something that you're not. And there is an intentionality built into this. It's not uh, where we would see inconsistency in an immature believer that just hasn't grown up yet in the Lord and doesn't you know, quite have, have everything together. No, there's an on-purpose attitude about the hypocrite. And what Jesus is teaching us is that if you have to announce and, and you need recognition when you do something or you give something, then you know better than the hypocrites are. He says, you call yourself a child of God, but you're acting like one of these hypocrites because really what you're doing is trying to rob him of the glory that he deserves so you can have some of it yourself. Well, again, that's a wrong reason to do something. The hypocrite does things in order to maintain appearances. If you want the praise of men, I mean, that, that, that is what you will get. Uh, you'll get the praise of men. But that means you'll get no reward from the Father. I mean, they, they did give to the poor. I mean, these, these religious leaders, whether they blew an actual horn or, or, or whether it was figurative or whether they made a big deal about it so everybody could see, I mean, they were doing the right thing. They were giving to the poor. They were meeting the needs of those less fortunate than themselves. But they were not doing it out of any principle of obedience to God. They weren't doing it out of love for the people they were giving to. But it was pride. Scripture calls it vain glory, empty glory. Not in compassion for the poor, but just for display, just to show off so they could be celebrated as being closer to God and, and, and so they may be thought of highly by the people around them. Something else we'll see here in verse 2 is that doing your righteousness for cheap reward is, well, that's wrong too. See, the outcome of hypocritical righteousness for them is that they had their reward in full. Okay? The end of the line for any recognition. No heavenly reward at all. Just the pats on the back and the great things that were said about them, that's all they were going to get. See, giving for recognition is rewarded on this earth only. A person receives a recognition of men only. There are there are two rewards here, two rewards for a wrong motive. First of all, there's a recognition of men, okay? 
And then there's the temporary self-satisfaction. And that's all there is. Jesus said they have their reward. They have received their payment and their reward. They've received all they will ever receive for the acts of righteousness that they've done. There'll be no reward, no reward whatsoever from God. They get the recognition of men. That is their reward. The person who does their righteousness, who does their giving, who does their service for recognition has already received all they're going to get. That's it. This is an accounting statement, meaning that that payment in full has occurred. God has no reason to reward them any farther any further, because once paid in full, payment's no longer anticipated, right? I mean, when, when I sell something, I don't get paid twice for it, right? I get paid once, that's all I get. Look, it is not wrong, it is not unlawful to give or to serve when people see you but not that people see you. You can't do it in, in 100% secrecy 100% of the time. People are going to see, okay? That's okay when that happens, but you don't do it so that people will see. One commentary says, if, if, if they have their reward, they have enough, but two words make it a threatening. It is a reward, but it is their reward. Not the reward which God promises to them that do good, but the reward which they promise themselves and the poor reward it is. They did it to be seen of men, and they are seen of men. They, they chose their own delusion with which they cheated themselves. Another one says, it is a reward, but it is a present reward. They have it, and there is none reserved for them in the future. They have all that they are likely to have from God. They have the reward here and have no hope of it hereafter. Hypocrites have their all in this world. Now let's look at verse 3. This is what doing your righteousness right looks like. Verse 3, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Okay, again, we see that doing your righteousness, that is right, that is expected, it's a command. It's the first step in loving your neighbor as yourself. And because it must be done, it must be done right. Do it out of an inner compulsion to give a desire to help out of intense love, out of, out of genuine concern. We see that doing your righteousness secretly for only the Father to see as much as you can, that's the right thing to do. Sometimes you might be noticed, as we've already mentioned, but that's not your intention. And this phrase, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, uh, is kind of an idiomatic expression referring to, to your best friends. Um, you know, we, we've heard the phrase, your right-hand man. You know, he's my right-hand man. You know, well, 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 don't let your closest friends 
know what's happening. See, Jesus isn't telling us that it's wrong to give by an envelope or a check because someone's going to find out. What he's saying is, is that we should just kind of give and forget. Don't dwell on or don't gloat over how much you've given or how much you've done. See, the right motive is to give because you love God, give because you love others, and then let it go. We give because we love the Father. And we want to share the Father's heart for the needy. We're not giving to benefit ourselves, but, but we want to extend the riches that the Father has given us to other people. Whether someone notices is irrelevant because we're not doing it for them if we do it right. We're doing it for the Father. So conceal it as much as possible. One commentary says, industriously keep it private. (laughs) I like that. Do it because it's a good work, not because it will give you a good name. See, we have to be careful not to applaud ourselves and admire ourselves. But then we get to verse 4. And, and we see the motivation as to, as to why we need to do it this way. And it's, um, it's a little difficult to wrap our heads around, maybe. But look at verse 4. It says, That thine alms may be secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So you're going to get a reward for giving and serving. Really, the issue is where do you want your reward to come from? That's, that's what's at uh, issue here. See, God sees in secret. He sees everything, including what we think we hide. God sees secret giving. He sees secret alms. He sees secret deeds. Nothing passes his attention. He knows the motive and the acts of every person, every single motive, every single so we know Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We kind of forget about verse 10, which says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So your, your charitable deeds, your, your works of service, uh, yes, you have to do those, but do them secretly. Give secretly. Give quietly. Serve privately. Don't let others know what you're giving or doing. This honors God. Matthew Henry again says, when we take least notice of our good deeds ourselves, God takes most notice of them. So we see, first of all, that doing your righteousness right results in right rewards. I didn't mean to have all those R's in there. It's just kind of the way it worked out. Doing your righteousness right results in the right reward. Remember, not not for the praise of men. It never lasts. The praise of men never lasts. And it's not going to be long before you hear, well, what have you done lately? Right? We don't do it for cheap reward because people are fickle. I mean, what you do to get their attention, you have to keep doing to keep their attention. And then you have to escalate. You have to do it more. You have to do it louder. Why? Because people get bored. And if you're going to keep their attention and keep their praise coming, you've got to keep up in your game. 
doing your righteousness right results in an open reward from the Heavenly Father. Now, knowing God as Father, that wasn't really fully revealed uh, until Christ came. But knowing the Father fully revealed through Christ, that is really, that's the remedy for hypocrisy. See, God is referred to as Father ten times in the first 18 verses of Matthew 6. Now, there are not a group of 18 verses, 18 chapters, or 18 books in the Old Testament that refer personally to God ten times. Now, neither does the entire Old Testament contain the intimate references of God as Father. See, since, since Jesus came, um, we begin to understand and know God as Father. And we know him in such a way that it changes our, our perspective. It changes the way we see life. It changes our concerns. We become more concerned with what the Father thinks, what he thinks of us, than what other people think of us. It changes the way we practice our righteousness. It changes the way we give. It's going to be different when we view the Father correctly. And see, it, it, it says God rewards openly. Now, again, some people downplay this truth, but, but there is a legitimate reward motive in the Christian life. God offers us reward. He offers us positive consequences for our obedience. Well, I just want to do it just because I love God and no other reason. Well, you might be more spiritual than me, which is okay, entirely possible. But when God says, you obey because you love me, oh, and by the way, I'm going to give you something for it. I'm going to reward you for your proper obedience. Well, if God initiates it, if God puts it into action, then, okay, I'm, I think I'm going to be okay with this. I think I can do what I'm going to do because I love God, and, and I don't want anybody else to see but God, and I'm okay with receiving something from God. I mean, if God chooses to reward me, it's got to be a good reward, right? If God's going to reward me, it's only going to be because whatever requires the reward is all lined up right, right? So if it comes from God, it has to be good and okay. God rewards openly. The recompense is of God. And it's him... It, it, Look at verse 4. It says, himself shall, the, shall reward thee openly. I mean, it is, it is expressed himself. God, the Father himself, is going to reward you. And he's going to reward you openly. See, if you're giving wrong, you're doing it openly to receive your reward. And, and, and it sounds a little counterintuitive, right? But... Jesus says that if you do your righteousness so nobody sees it, then God's going to make sure you're rewarded for that. But it's going to be an open and in front of everybody reward. See, Jesus' words say, your father who seeth in secret will himself reward you openly. See, it is God himself 
your heavenly father that is going to reward you. It's a public reward. That's what that word openly means. I thought it had some deep spiritual significance. I looked it up in, in A.T. Robertson's word picture of the New Testament. I looked at my expanded strongs, hoping to find some really cool insight. And all it means is in front of people. That's it. Openly. You'll be rewarded by your heavenly father openly for your obedience to him. If the work is not open, the reward shall be, and that is better. So you, as a faithful follower of Christ, as a joint heir with Christ, having a relationship as an adopted son with the father, you'll be rewarded as a son not as a servant. Your father, not your master, but your father will reward you when you do your giving and acts of service with the proper motive. He will reward you. Now we, as we wrap this up, we, we must do our righteousness. Okay, we must give and we must serve and we must do it carefully. Our motives are exposed by whose attention we're trying to get when we do our righteousness. So do we want instant, temporary, cheap reward? When we were down in Missouri, we took our kids to Chuck E. Cheese. That's what we do. They play games. They get tickets. They exchange them for cheap little toys. They break easily. They are of no real value. Is that all we're after? That's all we get with the praise of men. That's all we get when we serve and, and try to get the physical pat on the back or the or the, or the verbal attaboy, you really pulled that one off? Or do we want the blessings of our Heavenly Father lavishly poured on us? See, that is answered by recognizing which, which you love more, the praise of men or the praise of the Father. Will you be two-faced or will your Christianity be singular in its focus? Will you publicly seek the fleeting rewards of men when you do your acts of service and your, and your giving? Or will you secretly serve your heavenly father and await his reward? That's where the title comes from. Secret Service Christian. What kind of reward do you want? I'd rather have mine from God. I mean, I love you guys. I do care what you think about me. I'm a little fragile that way myself. But I have to care what God thinks more. I have to be more in love with my God than I am in love with your opinion of me. 
Which reward do you want? Won't you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, this morning we've, we've looked at this passage and we've seen, um, we've seen that we have to serve, we have to give, and, and you know, that, that's just expected. And, but Lord, as you did through chapter 5, you are hitting right at the heart, right at the motive, the very reason we do what we do. And Father, I pray that you would work in each of us, Lord, that, um, that your spirit would, would, would lay open our motives to us. As it says in Hebrews, your, your divides asunder even the soul and the spirit. And that again means, Lord, that you just lay open our soul and you lay open our spirit for, for us and you to see and examine. So I pray this morning, Lord, that your word has done that that you have filleted us and that under your scrutiny you will bring to the surface any sin, any pride, any false motive that would hinder our proper obedience to you. Lord, you tell us you will reward us and you tell us it's okay. So Father, help us as we seek to obey you even in the deepest recesses of our heart. Our motives were only you and you and we can see. Please, Father, through this, shape us more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. And Mike, would you come ahead, please?